Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. And Joe, we talked a lot about uh, spring games. We wanted to recap the Ole Miss spring game, which you know I thought was very interesting, especially the, the biggest thing on my mind was the quarterback battle between, uh, of course, Matt Corral's gone now, and between Jackson Dart, the USC transfer, and then Altmeyer, who's the presumed starter coming back, who, who got to see play a little bit in the loss against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. And then, you know, there was a couple other people that played at the quarterback position. Uh, Dent, who is, uh, I think it's a junior from Yazoo City, played as well. And, Joe, I got to say that there was a gulf between Altmeyer and everyone else, which is not what I was expecting. I mean, I was expecting Dart to be the guy. You know, I know it's really unfair of me, but I was really disappointed by Altmeyer's uh, performance against Baylor. I mean, to me, it looked like he had never prepared to take a snap as Ole Miss's quarterback last season. He looked like a deer in the headlights against, you know, granted a very good defense, but still not a defense that's at a Georgia or an Alabama type level where he looked like he was completely shell-shocked in that game. And so I was really hoping that I would see Jackson Dart be something that I could be excited about coming into the season. But he was nowhere near as good as Altmeyer. And I understand that it was a spring game, but Altmeyer looked faster, much more accurate, a lot smarter with the football. And to me, it definitely seems like it's Altmeyer's job to lose right now. Well, what I think you're going to see happen – is because of the early schedule for Ole Miss next year, their first five or six games are very winnable. I think their first three or four games are all non-conference games. And then they don't play Alabama until kind of the second half of the season. And so, you know, past years they've had kind of an SEC-heavy schedule early. And so because of that luxury, I think you're going to see both quarterbacks play a lot the first few weeks. I can see a situation where you have them kind of swapping quarters, swapping halves, to see who can get the most development, the most experience. So I think it's still to be determined. I've heard um, people say, if anything, bringing in another quarterback was good for Altmeyer to give him some competition. Because to your point, you know, he wasn't ready to be the starter uh, in 2022, based on what we saw at the end of last season. Uh, he has a lot of talent. Um, to me, he makes some good uh, moves with his feet. Um, I think that he doesn't have the arm talent that Dart has, but the issue with Jackson Dart that I've seen so far is he doesn't have his accuracy down yet. Mm -hmm. He's overthrowing receivers, missing targets. And so you still have a lot to um, come from the quarterback battle. The other thing to remember is just how young these guys are. Uh, Dart is not even 19 yet. He's still 18. And Altmeyer, of course, still, you know, in his true freshman uh, calendar year. And so, a lot of growing pains, I think, unfortunately, at the quarterback position. You definitely would have liked to have been in a better place at this point. Absolutely, Joe. And what, what really, like, you know, made me concerned is I thought that Dent, who's the third-string quarterback, looked significantly better than Jackson Dart did. And that was what really, like, kind of threw up a red flag for me because Dent's a guy I'd never even heard of. I mean, I know he's a guy that's from Yazoo City, so probably there's people in Mississippi that are a lot more familiar with him. But he looked a lot better even to me than Jackson Dart did. And I understand it's a spring game, but he was a much sharper. Yeah, I had heard of him, but when I saw that he was recruited, I kind of looked at him as one of those kind of bridge guys or guys that's going to be kind of a career backup. You know, somebody that's good for the locker room morale. You know, a player that's good in practice, maybe can come in, you know, 
at the end of some games, but you just never saw him as a projected starter with that type of player. So, you know, Dart and um, um, Altmaier both, you know, have room for improvement, especially Dart. But the good news for Ole Miss is that I think the rest of the roster is really good. Um, I think that the running back room is as good talent-wise as it's ever been at Ole Miss, and that's really saying something after last year's uh, trio that was really talented. Um, and I think the offensive line is really stout, especially with them adding the transfer from uh, Western Kentucky. Yeah, Joe, I thought the offensive line looked good, and it's going to be a very experienced offensive line coming into next season, which is good for Ole Miss. And that was definitely – you were talking about the running backs. That was to be a strength of the team, which is it's hard to believe with all they lost at the running back position with losing Jerion Ely, with losing Snoop Connor. But the Evans that came in, the TCU transfer, looks really good. A big Snoop Connor type back who maybe is a little bit faster than Snoop. And they also have someone who came in that I thought looked a lot like Jerry and Ely and the ability to, to be a speed back, go to the outside. And I think there's definitely a lot of talent there. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Ulysses Bentley, the uh, SMU transfer. Uh, so ironically, a transfer from SMU and TCU, both headed uh, to Ole Miss. And they also have some talented freshmen on the roster too. So really excited about that position. Um, and then also, as far as the receivers, you know, they have some questions, you know, losing uh, Drummond and losing some of those guys that have been starters. You got to have Mingo come out and, you know, perform well as a senior. But the big story from the spring game is just the excitement surrounding a tight end, uh, Michael Trigg, who looks like just the next uh, star pass catcher at Ole Miss. And I heard reports when Dart and Trigg both transferred from USC that even if Dart turns out to be good, that everybody thought that uh, really Michael Trigg was going to be the, the superstar of the, of the duo. Uh, Joe, in terms of the player that showed out the most during the spring game, it was Trigg. I mean, your eyes naturally went to him. He's huge. He caught everything that was thrown at him, including a lot of, you know, I would say almost like the Florida tight end type catches that you had a couple of years ago. I mean, he looks like he's got this amazing athletic ability and he's definitely – he's a day one starter regardless of if it was Jackson Dard, who's his best friend and roommate throwing it to him, or if it's Luke Altmaier. And I think he's definitely going to be a star this year. And, you know, depending on Mingo's health and what he does, I would put him as my early favorite to be – have the most yards of any Ole Miss receiver this year. I think so. I mean, he had three touchdown receptions. I mean, he's kind of like a – like a DK Metcalf in the end zone, kind of boxing out to go up and get the ball. Just really impressed with him, you know, at 6'4", 6'5". And so I like him. And then, you know, think about Mingo. And then also you have uh, Casey Kelly back. And so what a luxury to have him as your backup tight end to uh, Trigg. I think he could start for a lot of teams in Division One. And then uh, you have some guys that transferred from uh, other schools. I know they have a Louisville transfer receiver, for instance, that are all, all these guys are going to be uh, counted on to, to perform well. And they also are going to have a Mississippi State transfer at wide receiver, uh, Malik Heath, which is really interesting. That is interesting. Well, I mean, you know, you would think that if you're a Mississippi State receiver right now, you'd actually want to stay at Mississippi State because they have the more stable quarterback position, at least for the upcoming season. Uh, but that's interesting right there. You look at the, the past lately, though. I mean, Ole Miss has had a much more decorated history of receivers as of late. Yes, without a doubt. 
And then on, you know, the defensive side of the ball, Dan, you know, you don't necessarily have the household names just yet because you lost, you know, the Chance Campbells and the Sam Williams of the world. But still a lot of talent on that roster. They brought in some impactful uh, transfers like Troy Brown, you know, with experience from other schools. And the talent is there defensively. And really the talent's there on this roster to me, the biggest issue is the questions at quarterback, having two young quarterbacks, whoever it is, and you just worry about, like, even if you have a talented roster, you know, does having questions about the quarterback, does that kind of cost you some wins? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Joe. Uh, that's something that's going to come down in tight games, whoever it be, if it be Dart or if it's going to be Altmaier, they're going to have to show some moxie that we didn't see out of the quarterback room outside of Corral last year. Uh, I do want to point out, you were talking about uh, transfers. Uh, Ole Miss actually got two really good transfers from Auburn that I thought showed out in the spring game. The first one being uh, J.J. Pegues, who's from Oxford, Mississippi, played at Auburn. And the first year that he was there with Gus Malzahn, he was used as a tight end and like a very huge tight end because he's like 300 pounds. And they also used him as a running back and even a quarterback on occasion. And the guy's just amazingly athletic. I mean, I think he can do like a standing backflip at 300 pounds. And he's, he got switched to defensive tackle when Brian Harson was there, and that led him to, to transfer because it never really got there. And at Ole Miss, I think he's also still playing defensive tackle, but I did see that he caught a two-point conversion pass during the, uh, during the A-Day game or during the Grove Bowl. And I'm thinking that maybe means they're going to use him on offense, which they should. I mean, in my mind – I understand that body type is more for a defensive tackle, but I think he's kind of a unique type weapon that could be that could be used in a way similar to the fridge. And I think if you don't use him that way, you're missing out on what he has to offer. It reminds me a lot. Like I think he has you know different versatility as far as like you're going to see him as a pass catcher, mostly like that. But it reminds me of when Ole Miss had Jeremy Liggins. You know, they run him in in short yardage situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you need to get a yard or something, there's no way you're going to stop this guy. And he actually has quite good hands. So if you want to do a play where you haven't blocked somebody and then go out of the backfield right after doing a, a quick block, that's a good setup for him. And then, Joe, the other one I wanted to talk about is Ladarius Tennyson, who is a safety who actually started a fair amount for Auburn the last couple of years when people were injured. And last year, I think he was more or less a regular starter. So it was kind of a surprising transfer and I saw him make a bunch of tackles in the spring game, and I would look for him to be someone who probably becomes one of the better uh, players on Ole Miss's defense this year. I can certainly see that. Yeah, like I said, you know, from a talent perspective, I see a lot there on both sides of the ball. Uh, to me, the other thing, in addition to the quarterbacks kind of coming on, I think it's just a lot of players that even though they're really good, they haven't played together enough as a cohesive unit. And so that's what makes me a little nervous, whereas last year, even though they had some transfers, I felt like most of the players coming back had kind of been in the system longer. Right. And so, I mean, this is definitely, you know, Lane Kiffin has dubbed himself as the transfer king. That's what he says. He's building this team off of transfers, uh, you know, and so he's using the portal to his advantage. And we'll see how well he can do because we had a little bit of a lackluster traditional recruiting class this year. And he's going to have to hope that these guys really hit fast. And there's some that I think we feel good about. We feel good about Evans at running back. We feel good about Trigg at, at receiver outside. And I feel pretty good, like I said, about Tennyson and maybe Pegues. But outside of that, I think some of these guys are kind of unknowns. 
yeah, I mean, there's definitely some guys, you know, that aren't uh, household names yet, but hopefully, you know, uh, later in the season they will be. That's right. Joe, someone who is a household name is suddenly become the, the hottest coach in America in college baseball, and not just because he has the number one team, but also because he's a hot head. And we're talking about uh, Josh Vitello, the Tennessee head coach. He has a team that is just an absolute wrecking crew, but they're a little bit of show-offs, Joe. They hit home runs. They throw bats down on the other team. They dance around. They seem to have a little bit of uh, mean fun at their opponents, which, you know, I- I'm okay with a little bit of showboating. It doesn't bother me. But lately, uh, Vitelli has gotten, you know, pretty angry and gotten in some trouble. He had an instance where he chest bumped a referee and got suspended for a couple of games. Um, and then this last series, Auburn played them when Vitello was already serving a suspension for four games for chest bumping an umpire at a baseball game. And Auburn hit a walk-off game-winning home run in the second game of the series. They were down six to five, and Auburn player had a three-run home run to win. And he kind of did the little bat flick thing, kind of like what Tennessee does pretty much every time they do anything, and it was in the direction of the Tennessee bench. If you watch the replay, the bat probably landed a couple feet away from where the bench was at. Well, as all the Auburn players come up to home plate to celebrate, like you would generally do on a game-winning home run, uh, Vitello picks up the bat and throws it at all the Auburn players. And I just – I was in shock about how just a disgusting of a move that was. And just – it just seems so immature, especially when you got this team right now that seems like juggernauts where if you just step out of their way, they're probably going to be the national champions. But it just seems like his attitude and what he's kind of fostered in this team, which seems a little bit, you know, not goodwill, it seems like it's going to come back and bite him at some point. It concerns me, and I think I told you before the show, the fact that it permeates the entire roster seemingly. You know, this is not just a few players or just the coaching staff showboating from time to time or showing a lot of emotion. And for me, the classic example right now, I think about the Golden State Warriors, it's one thing to have one Draymond Green on your team. Like, you can have one or a Dennis Rodman. You don't want to have three or four or five of those guys. you got to have, you know, those Steph Currys that can be mature or Clay Thompson that can show you that level of maturity and not necessarily showboat. And what concerns me about Tennessee is just so many players on that team just kind of exemplify that one um, size mindset. And I'm just afraid you're not going to have somebody have the uh, maturity level to navigate through um, the uh, NCAA tournament. Absolutely. And I mean, where are they getting uh, their good role model from to not be that way? I mean, their coach right now is exemplifying all those things and then some, and he just keeps, he just keeps putting his foot in his mouth. And, you know, it just seems like you feel like they're going to come across a veteran team that's more disciplined that maybe even does something that they know could get, you know, retributive action from them. I mean, Joe, let's say that they had a batter go up there and a pitcher intentionally threw a ball at him and hit him. Do you think there's any way those people would control themselves by not going after that pitcher? I mean, Probably. If, I, if I were going against them, I would actually – I would even consider doing that. I mean, seriously, because I don't think that – would you trust that team to be in control if something like that happened? I wouldn't. I really wouldn't, and I think that antagonizing them would probably be a good strategy, regardless of how you could do it, 
because you just don't know what's going to set them off so easily. And the other thing I worry about is just how flawless they played the entire season. Like, you know, they've lost two games in the SEC. They lost to Auburn last weekend. But they're still, what, like 19-2 and two in the SEC? And uh, the last team that had that kind of record, I remember Vanderbilt in 2013, they were really good with Danzy Swan, uh, Swanson and the company. Um, they went like 26 and three or 27 and three in the SEC, and they didn't even make it out of the super regional. Mm-hmm. And, and I say this all the time, you know, in college basketball, for instance, I think the same can be said about college baseball. You know, it's different from football to the extent that, you know, you're not required to go undefeated or have this just magical season in order to win the national championship. It's all about, you know, getting hot at the right time. And I just worry about these teams that kind of are so hot on the front end, at some point you're going to have that, you know, downpour. And to me, Tennessee could be setting up for that to happen at the most inopportune time. I mean, Joe, we, we'd have to look no further than even last year in baseball. Arkansas was like that. The whole season, they were the best team, unquestioned. And they just kind of ran roughshod through everybody. But then the very end of the year, they started tightening up a little bit, barely beat Nebraska to get out of their own regional. And then suddenly they go to the super regionals and get shocked by NC State. And it's because they didn't peak at the right time. They peaked too early. And you're right, mentioned in basketball, Auburn basketball was like that. They were number one in the country for a long time during the season. They got really good, but it was in the middle of the season. And then they just tracked downward at the end of the year. And then, boom, they went out in the second round. And you do feel like the Tennessee team is almost too good for their own uh, business. And with, with what appears to be a vast lack of maturity, that mixed with just having this overwhelming success seems to be a recipe for not being able to get it done at the end right now. Yeah, it's just not it's not a good combo. And I think you also just have the tendency to get exhausted trying to win all these games. You burn your pitching staff. Yeah, absolutely. Um well, Joe, I was talking about Auburn basketball. And, you know, of course, they, the two main center points of their team, different than what you've seen in the past with Bruce Pearl, was the front court. Of course, you have Jabari Smith, who's potentially the number one overall draft pick. And then you have uh, Walker Kessler, who both left, and Walker Kessler's late first round, probably early second round pick. And thought it was going to be very difficult to replace him. Well, Bruce Pearl goes out and gets Yoan Treor, who was – He's a French basketball player who was going to go to LSU, which I thought was interesting, a French basketball player going to LSU to, to begin with. Um, but then when, of course, uh, when Will Wade left and all the different players started leaving, Trey Orr decided to go to Auburn. And that was a big pickup that kind of, in a lot of ways, replaced Jabari Smith. He's got more of a Jabari Smith-type skill set. So it was still out there as to whether they could get somebody to replace Walker Kessler. Well, Joe, they did. They ended up getting a guy from Moorhead State who actually not only does is he in the same realm as what Walker Kessler did last year in rebounding, he actually scores a lot more points than Walker Kessler does, which is good. And we'll talk about Johnny Broom. He's six foot ten. He was fifth in the country in blocks. And I think he averaged about 17 points per game. And so this is someone that I think could be a great uh, replacement for Walker Kessler. And maybe overall could be slightly more valuable if he can keep up that kind of scoring output because Walker Kessler was someone that was a, you could count on for a 10 to 11 points per game. He didn't have very many games where he went 20 plus. And that's something that I think this guy brings to the table. 
Yeah, I read um, the headlines the other day that he was one of the more sought-after um, transfers on the portal, in the portal. And so definitely a big get for uh, Bruce Pearl. You know, kind of helps with uh, the program kind of bridging uh, the gap with the players you lost this year and, you know, staying relevant in, uh, you know, trying to make the NCAA tournament next year and be in contention, especially with the strength of the SEC now. You know, Arkansas and Kentucky returned a lot of players, and they also have uh, hit home runs with recruiting. And so – you know, you've got to bring in impactful players like this uh, right now with the state of the league. That's right, Joe. And, and in my understanding, this was a very intense recruiting battle between Auburn and Florida for the services uh, of Mr. Brown. And apparently the, the tipping uh, of the cap was that Florida already had Colin Castleton, who's going into his fifth year and who is a very dominant player and who I kind of expect with, with Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith to be gone to maybe be the guy that's the face of the front courts in the SEC. I mean, Castleton's got an amazing talent. He's really good at rebounding. He's tough. And now, and the best part about him is for a big guy, he's like a 90% plus free throw shooter. And so that definitely the Castleton's got a future at the next level. And so I could understand why uh, Broom would want to not go there where he might not get to start over someone like Castleton. It really surprised me, too, that Castleton stayed at Florida with the coaching change and with them not being that great of a team next year. But so you have to credit, you know, the coaching staff to hold on to him. But because you hold on to him, you're right. You don't get that transfer. Absolutely. I mean, I think I texted you when Auburn was playing Florida, knowing that we would probably lose Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, that I was saying Auburn should make a move to try and see if they can get Colin Castleton to come play for him for one year because he's that unique of a talent. Right, he is. Well, Joe, uh, speaking of unique, the last thing I wanted to bring and bring up for just a little bit was, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of times how uniquely inconsistent the NCA is and their punishments and how they don't go after some people. They take forever to go after others. I saw a story with Scott Frost who's already had, you know, the last couple of years from hell and is barely being able to be the coach of, of Nebraska, who, of course, he was the favored son coming back. He won a national championship there. Coming off an undefeated season at Central Florida where they claimed a national championship based on him beating Auburn at the end of the year. And things have not gone in Nebraska anywhere near what we expect them to be. Well, suddenly he's got nailed with uh, NCAA, uh, NCAA penalties, including a one-year show cause for having an additional coaching coach on his staff that was an on-field, you know, coach, which apparently I didn't really think of that as being that serious of a thing. You look at Nick Saban, who employs a thousand different analysts. I've heard that Florida has something like 40 different coaches on their staff that they just don't put it like the coach label on them. And yet Nebraska is getting hit with this pretty hard and they're going to put a one-year show calls on Scott Frost. To me, it's just nonsensical. Yeah, I was really surprised by this because you until you told me about it, I really did not realize that it happened. And I honestly did not even realize that was a rule. Um, to me, once again, something the NCAA is prioritizing that I don't think is that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. I mean, they're prioritizing things like this. But now we look at yet another example of a great player at a school that hasn't had a whole lot of success over our lifetimes. And I'm talking about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's gotten good lately. I think Pat Narduzzi's an excellent coach. You know, we, now we see that Kenny Pickett got drafted 20th overall by the Steelers. You know, they made their first uh, New Year's Six Bowl ever. 
And one of the biggest parts of that team outside of Kenny Pickett was Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison won the Blitnikoff Award. He had over 1,500 yards receiving. You know, right now he's in the same sentence with Larry Fitzgerald in terms of great Pittsburgh wide receivers. And, of course, you think about Pittsburgh, Not they're not a blue blood. They're nowhere near that, that realm. They had a lot of history back in the 80s and 70s with Dan Marino, uh, with Franco, with all these kind of players. But since then, they haven't really been anywhere near that. And then last year was kind of the best year they've had really since that time frame. And, of course, you know that when that happens, suddenly with Pickett leaving, every single shark is going to be out there to try and get Addison to leave Pittsburgh. And apparently we're seeing a similar circumstance to what happened with Caleb Williams, where it seems like Addison is out there and it's basically who's going to make me the best NIL offer. And that's what it looks like. I mean, it, and I understand that, you know, there could be some considerations, which he doesn't know who's going to be throwing the ball to him. You know, he doesn't know what his quarterback's going to be that he couldn't go out in the draft last year. So he wants to be with maybe a more stable environment but you know, they did go out, and I think Keaton Slovis transferred from USC to Pittsburgh. So they have a they have a capable quarterback that we've seen do some stuff. And I just think this is going to be a tragic story for college football when Pittsburgh's best player is going to transfer away after they had their best season. I mean, I would just hate to see that. Yeah, it really would be a travesty. Um, it doesn't surprise me, I guess, completely that he would want to transfer just because, you know, even though they have Slovis – they probably aren't going to contend for an ACC title next year unless, you know, they surprised a few people. So I could see maybe where you could see him wanting to go to contender. I've even heard USC would obviously be really interested trying to pair him with uh, Caleb Williams. So I think that's definitely something to watch with the momentum that, you know, Lincoln Riley has with his arrival out there. But ultimately though, I think the big story here, in addition to the frustration, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, is just how this uh, represents uh, the NL, NIL mindset, that you're going to see so many players that don't even intend to transfer enter the portal just to use their leverage and get the best deal possible. And I'm just kind of interested and, and also worried about how that's going to impact uh, college football. Absolutely. And, I mean, you remember when we were younger, USC was a little bit of a bad guy. I mean, they were respected. Everybody liked Pete Carroll. But there always was the under, you know, current with the Reggie Bush scandal and all that kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden, when it's above the board, they have so much money out in L.A. and there's the allure of it. And you can not only go out there and you can be a great football player, but you can have all the spotlight on you. You want to be in movies. That's suddenly out there for you after, you know, after this goes on. And suddenly USC is in this position where they can be just a carnivorous shark that every time they see someone who's really good in another school, they can just put out there with the glitz and glamour and the money behind L.A., and they're about to be a force, and maybe it's not a good force. Yeah, you don't have to hide the ball anymore. You don't have to be deceptive. And I also think, you know, that although most fans, you know, knew that things like this were happening behind the scenes, it's at the point where you find out how the sausage is made, you know, can you really live with that? So I think that's kind of the, the, the tough situation that we're in right now. It's like people kind of compromising, you know, what, what we're watching right now. Right. I mean, and there's been a lot of talk about USC doing tampering 
uh, with when it comes to Mario Addison. You look at they already were the ones that got Caleb Williams, where that was a no joke, I'm for sale, that kind of thing. Now, Addison hasn't completely been out there, put out there that way. Um, but if they get him too, then suddenly you're worried about all the players on your team about USC giving him a call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just constantly having to recruit, you know, internally. And I've heard that, you know, a lot of coaches right now are interested, like coaches that are in the NFL, they want to stay there because just the recruiting world of uh, college football is just so nightmarish at this point. It is. And, I mean, you know, it, they're going to have to do something about it uh, because this is just, uh, I, I mean, it, it really is hurting a game that I think all of us love and it's making it not what we, you know, not what we grew up watching. And definitely it's for mm-hmm. the worst. Yep, I agree. All right, Joe. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the, the league that college football is suddenly coming, becoming into, uh, except with uh, no restrictions, we're going to talk about the NFL draft and what actually happened last weekend. We come back for our next segment. And I want to thank all of our listeners. You can catch all of our, all of the episodes on Spotify. If you look at the Dan and Joe Sports Show on Spotify, you'll find us. You can also uh, like and be subscribe to our YouTube fan page there. The last few months, all of our episodes are now on YouTube, and we also put them on Spotify and video formats. You can see them both ways there. You can also uh, be a fan of our fan page on, on Facebook, and then also you can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.